Good afternoon. I am Dr. Tanya Roberson, Director of Community Engagement, Program Development and Academic Support at Governor State University in the College of Health and Human Services, and your host for Governor State University's Southland Health and Wellness Hour. The Southland Health and Wellness Hour is not the traditional health and wellness podcast, nor is it intended to provide medical advice. This is a community-engaged podcast for residents of South Chicago and Chicago Southland, where individual and community stories and situations serve as a foundation for discussion. This is where we can begin to address unanswered questions about health inequities and concerns, and where we might find possible solutions to these issues. This podcast brings together community members, leaders, and organizations alongside topic experts to address social trends, a variety of health and wellness topics, and to provide community resources to improve the lives of our listeners. The guest statements are their own and do not reflect the policies or opinions of Governor's State University. Thank you for joining us. We have a great topic today entitled COVID-19. It's caught us all off guard. The who, what, when, where, and why of addressing healthcare and education challenges. This is not the first pandemic and will not be the last. COVID-19 has changed how we work and live in the South Chicago and Southland region. These are unprecedented times. Although the necessary focus has been to educate, heal, and care for patients and communities, and the emergence of COVID-19 has disrupted the ways in which healthcare and education can be delivered. This pandemic presents practical and logistical challenges and concerns for doctor and patient and educator and student safety and success. Today, we have two guests who will share perspectives on two sectors of life that have been greatly impacted by COVID-19, healthcare and education. Our first guest is the Associate Executive Director at UI Mile Square Health Center, the Associate Director of Community Outreach and Engagement at UI Cancer Center, a research assistant professor at UI School of Public Health, Community Health Sciences, and he is currently working with the Cancer Research Training Project, which is a collaborative initiative between Governor State University and the University of Illinois Cancer Center at Chicago. Welcome, Dr. Kareem Watson. Our second guest is a recent graduate from the College of Health and Human Services here at Governor State University with a pre-health concentration. She is going to talk about the impact COVID-19 has had on her experience as a GSU student, the impact on her required internship, graduation, on-the-job training, family life, and about what it was like to pivot in the middle of a semester from in-person study to online coursework needed to graduate. Welcome, Ms. Christina Williams. Before we start, listeners, 
we want to invite you to contact us, comment about this podcast, and ask questions about COVID-19. Visit the GSU podcast website. The link is available in our description. Here you will find our email address, community resources for the visually and hearing impaired, and in English and Spanish. If you need more information for COVID-19, go to the Center for Disease Control website at cdc.org. Okay, my first question is going to be directed to Dr. Watson. And Dr. Watson, this is a two-part question. The first part is, how has a regular doctor's visit changed during this pandemic? And secondly, how are providers adopting strategies to address patient social economic barriers or social pressures? And can you please give the definition of socioeconomic barriers? Thank you for that question, Dr. Robinson. Um, this, that's a great question. One of the things that the COVID-19 pandemic has done is, as we all know, the first thing that's done is required social distancing. And that social distancing has not, um, it's also impacted healthcare visits as well. One of the things we've been fortunate that we've been, we're, we were able to pivot to as a federally qualified health center, as an FQHC at Miles Square, was virtual and telehealth visits, um, meaning that we're able to have both telephonic visits with patients over the phone, as well as video chat visits with patients as well. Okay. Um, this took a learning curve, both for our providers and our patients, but I can honestly say that we actually saw for those patients that had access to the um, smartphones or smart devices that our no-show rate, believe it or not, for some visits decreased. Wow. Um, yeah, so we, this is a new way that I think that although there's some visits that, can, that need to take place in persons, for example, um, we can assess a diabetic patient, how they're doing over through a phone visit or in-person visit. But there are certain things that we need to assess about that diabetic patient that we need to come in and have lab visits for. And so it's really, so we're really now in the process of ensuring that those patients who were not able to come in for lab visits, that they get caught up with those lab visits. Even as we think about back to school visits, right? The yeah. vaccines for kids. Unfortunately, we had a conversation, I was on a national call with the CDC, with representatives from the CDC, and they were talking about challenges that we're facing in vaccinations for children. That one of the big drivers for kids being up to date, for children being up to date with their vaccines is back to school physical exams, right? Yeah. But now parents are being told that schools are not gonna be doing face-to-face. -face. So some parents are saying, well, do my, does my child still need that school physical? Do they still need those vaccines? And the answer is 100% they still do. But getting that message out has been challenging. The other question you ask are about the social issues. One of the things that we incorporated by working with our Office of Community Engagement, um, Office of Community Engagement Neighborhood Health Partnerships, Ocean HP, under the leadership of Angela Ellison and with support from Nancy Tart, we've been doing a social determinants of health assessment for all of our patients calling them, doing social check-ins, asking them, how are you doing? How are you feeling during this time? Do you have the appropriate amount of food that you need? Do you have the mental health support you need right now? And then if they answer no, we've been fortunate to be able to partner with Blue Cross Blue Shield and others for a food delivery program to some of our patients. And so we really had to move from just addressing those traditional basic health needs to our patients to more to addressing the holistic needs of our patients, which is what we should be doing in healthcare anyway, I think. 
Yes. And can you give a lay term definition of what a social determinant is so our listeners? I sure can. Uh, Thank you for that. So a social determinant of health could be just say that I'm a patient that's had, that has high blood pressure. That's my medical condition, right? My medical condition is high blood pressure. A social determinant of health would be the community that I live in. If I have high blood pressure, but I live in a community that may be suffering from unfortunate civil unrest, that may increase the stress that I'm under. So that community environment is a social determinant of health. Like I said before, this patient may have high blood pressure. They may live in a community area where unfortunately due to civil unrest, that the, the store that they had close to them may have closed down. Okay. I lived in I lived near the Bronzeville community. We had a Walmart on the corner in Chicago that was closed down for several months as a result of civil unrest. That lack of access to healthy a grocery store is a social determinant of health that may put that high that patient high blood pressure at risk for eating foods that may not be healthy for them. So that's a social determinant of health. Mm-hmm. Lack of access to educational materials. Okay. That's that I that may be at a health literacy place where I can read it and understand it, right? You yes. know, that's an example of a social determinant of health. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Okay, my next question is directed to Miss Williams. Miss Williams, 2020 was supposed to be a big year for you. It is your graduation year, and I know that you were excited and anxious to reach this point. How did you feel and what were your thoughts? or any fears when the pandemic was made official and the stay-at-home order was put into place? Um, I honestly, I wasn't really fearful of anything just because um, I was, you know, educated and prepared for the pandemic. Luckily, I was taking epidemiology um, that semester. So as far as my feelings towards everything, I know um, I was more hurt over anything just because um, it's something that I really looked forward to, you know, crossing the stage um, when you grow up, that's really all you think about is the accomplishments that you make throughout your school years, as far as, um, you know, graduating from kindergarten or um, eighth grade high school, and then you get to basically college. Um, I did graduate from boot camp in AIT, and I'll never forget how proud I was of myself when I crossed the stage, but my mom definitely told me that she can't wait for me to cross the real stage. And I feel like for me, that's like, oh gosh, like, you know, it really put that pressure on me. And um, I was pretty devastated when, you know, I found out that it wasn't going to happen, the ceremony. But um, honestly, it motivates me even more to still continue my education and uh, make it to my master's. And hopefully I'll be able to cross that stage. Okay, thank you for that. Mm-hmm. The next question I want to direct to both Dr. Watson and to you, Christina. In your role, what are your thoughts about the disproportionate impact of COVID-19 on the Black and Latinx communities? Um, thank you. Want to go first? <laughs> Sorry. Sure, I'll start. And um, <laughs> just in terms of the impact on, on, on underrepresented racial ethnic minority communities, one of the things is that um, I, I like to say that 
COVID-19 pandemic did not show us anything that we did not already know existed. The, the structural racism, the structural violence, the health inequities that are highlighted that black and brown communities are disproportionately experiencing are things that we already knew. Um, and so when the pandemic first came out and we saw that unfortunately the numbers in the African-American community were some of the highest in terms of mortality rates. This was before we saw that information come out about what was happening in the Latinx communities. And as a public health trained community health scientist, I knew, and many, and many of my other public health colleagues knew, we knew that it was only unfortunately a matter of time before we saw those disparities that looked similar in the African-American community hit in the Latinx community. For example, as Miles Square, we have a clinic in the, the South Shore. One of our 14 clinics is in the South Shore area. South Shore zip code 60649 carried the highest mortality rate, one of the highest mortality rates in the city among the 77 community neighborhoods in Chicago from mortality due to death rates due to COVID-19. So we knew we had to work with the alderwoman um, in, in South Shore, community partners in South Shore, and, 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 and others to really make sure there was PPE passed out, yes. that there was testing available, and that there was education materials available. Okay. And Christina, what about in your role? Um, I feel like my role is more so um, just because I'm part of both. I'm African-American and um, Mexican-American. So um, coming from both ends, I feel like the only disadvantage for me, just because I feel like, um, you know, in both communities, Ridge is just so headstrong. So I feel like it's just something, um, like Dr. was saying, something that, you know, we, we already know about. We know a lot of um, about influenza and things of that nature. But I think the challenge really came in as far as, um, as far as excelling, because I know, you know, for sure, any of my friends that I talk to or any of my cousins, like we have that pressure of like, okay, we're always stereotyped as a minority, right? So like, we kind of have this constant pressure of like excelling and succeeding against all odds. And I feel like the pandemic kind of, in a way, I know with the riots and everything that was happening, it got a little crazy. Um, and honestly, like that, that was one thing. And then to relate it to COVID, it was just like watching, like watching, you know, on social media, it's like all of us either coming together or, you know, at one point there, you know, media was trying to tear us apart. And I feel like it um it motivated i mean for me i know for my friends it motivated us even more to try to do things in the community together yes. and um make sure we empower one another and and not try to compete because it's not you know it's not a competition like we're we're better together we're better if we're stronger if we work together and i feel like this pandemic brought it out of a lot of us yes. in the black and latino community yes and i agree with you Okay. Okay, the next question I'll direct to um, both of you. We'll start with Dr. Watson and then you, Christina. The stay-at-home orders and recommended personal protective practices were disseminated to mitigate the spread of COVID-19 in the United States. Where are you seeing the gaps in information reaching most of these individuals who are at risk? Um, in terms of stay-at-home guidelines? Yes. I would say that 
and the PP it's challenging. And I, I think Christine was getting to this earlier. It is challenging um, to, to tell people to social distance and to stay at home, particularly when you think about cultures that are very communal, right? So you think about communities like African-American and Latinx communities that are very familial in nature and, and very much about the social connection. So you tell families now that you have to stay at home. I get it. But I also, and I'm a scientist and it's hard for me, right? I understand what the pandemic can do, but it's still hard. Um, I had family visit from Michigan and we had to sit on the deck and socially distance. And I wanted a hug. I wanted to hug my sisters, but I elbowed them and I fist bumped them as we sat on my porch. Um, and so it's hard. Um, I have a friend that just had a, a, a little baby. Um, and we haven't held that baby yet, right? Luckily, the baby's being held by the mom. Mm -hmm. um, but I want to hold the little baby. I want to show that little baby love. And But you, we can't do that because I'd rather not hold him for three months so I can hold him for the next 30 years, you know? Mm -hmm. So we have to talk about the sacrifices we have to make now so we can have our full access to life. And in terms of PPE, I just look at it like it is the what, what we have to do. And mm. when I'm in the community, if I see someone that doesn't have on a mask, I keep masks in my car because <laughs> I just assume mm. that people, if I see someone without it and it's a, you have to, of course, judge the situation. You don't just walk up to anybody and be like, hey, you need to put on a mask. Yeah. But if you do it in a collegial neighbor type way, like, hey, you know, I see you don't have on a mask. If you need one, I got one here. Here you go. Yes, that's what I do too. Yeah. You know, here you go. Yes. Um, because my first assumption is that they don't have one. And mm -hmm. then and then I'll give them one. Then my second assumption is that it's hard wearing the mask, you know, but it's it's required. But I I, I don't judge our community for mm -hmm. having challenges with the social distancing. I just try to remind them of why it's so important. Mm -hmm. And um, Dr. Watson, do you think that some of the gaps too with the stay-at-home orders, for example, if you have a patient that may need to quarantine or isolate, but they live in a household with six to seven people, what do you see? One hundred percent. Yeah, that's a, that's another example of a social determinant of health. Yes. Like you're telling me to, to to quarantine, but I live in a six or you know a thousand square foot apartment with five other people. That's hard, you know, because they may that person might not have the luxury of having a, their own bedroom. So what you basically telling them is that they have to subject themselves to stay in that room. And then the other family members have to learn how to navigate around that process. Wow. So that's that's hard. Yes. Necessary. But it's hard. Hard. Yes. OK. And Christina, where are you seeing the gaps in information? As far as the gaps in um, information reaching out to those in the community, I feel like we um, kind of, we, well, we really do. We lack in um, preventative care, like education. I know that um, as far as, you know, the testing and the mask and all those things to prevent are um, great things as well. But like, no, I, I was speaking to one of my friends um, the other day and her mother, she has cancer. And I was like, oh, what, you know, is she taking any, you know, any supplements to try to boost her immune system? And she's like, no, like she really knew nothing about nothing. And I'm like, oh, well, I feel like that's where we lack. Like there's not a lot in the media or not a lot being um, promoted about any supplements that we can take. Like it can be like herbal, anything to boost our immunity. And I feel like it's really important. I mean, I introduced it to my household as March 
as soon as it hit, I was like, oh no. Like, you know, I had the supplements in, in the fridge. I have them, you know, piled, like stocked up now. And I have my mom, me and my stepdad, um, we basically take them all the time. We take them, I take it every day, sometimes twice a day. When I come home from work, I take it when I come home. And, you know, I, I take it in the morning every day. But I feel like, you know, I, I've, my immune system has built up like dramatically, like since I started. Um, I, I haven't felt sick or anything like that. And before this, I was never taking anything for herbals or supplements or anything like that. And I would always get like a sinus infection, you know, or anything like that. And I feel like it's just really important to start educating people on the things they can do prior to like, you know, feeling a symptom or feeling ill. So they just, we just won't get to that point. Yes. So I think that's what we, what we lack a lot. Yes. Yes. And education, definitely. I agree with you both is actually the key. That's a statement that is thrown around a lot, but it is very necessary. And it's very important for all of us to try to stay informed and learn so we can be very knowledgeable about COVID-19 so that we can make informed decisions. I often listen to um, the news breaks with the governor and the mayor during the day, during the week. And um, I want to read a quote to you that I heard that was very impactful by Dr. Ngozi Iziki, who is a board-certified internist and pediatrician who joined the Illinois Department of Public Health from Cook County as on the COVID-19 news update with the governor of Illinois. She She made the statement, before this is over, everyone would have either been infected or affected by COVID-19. To both guests, Dr. Kareem Watson and Ms. Christina Williams, how has the pandemic directly affected or infected you and your family? Um, I've had relatives that have tested positive uh, for COVID-19 and I've seen firsthand, you know, what that has done. you know, in, in our community, um, in, in, my, in my own family, even. And so it's it's been hard to watch it, right? It's been hard to, you're praying, you're hoping that they're one of the ones, that they're part of that larger number. We do know that the majority of people will recover, but yeah. you also get concerned that will this family member or this loved one be in that small percentage of those that do not recover? So even as a scientist, even working in healthcare, it's still scary to watch your loved one go through this. Okay. Um, as far yes um i as well experienced um a couple of family members that have been diagnosed they are my grandmother's side so um a brother and a sister so a great aunt and a great uncle and um you know they're already in their like 50s 60s my the uncle he's in i think he's almost 70 so it was really frightening um as far as like, oh my God, you know, it, like it hit our family, not once but twice. Um, I have an uncle that just finished recovering about two weeks ago. So his is more fresh, but my aunt that happened in April mm-hmm. and um, it just made us, I, I, on, on, like realistically, it humbled us because I feel like we have just a greater understanding of what may happen once you are diagnosed um, and just <laughs> prayer works. But, but you know it, it's it's hard it honestly it's hard I know my mom is the most she has the most anxiety over it and I find myself trying to you know make sure to talk her through it or calm her down or just 
educate her. I feel like education is key yeah. as, as far as like my, the generation above me. Like I, I have to keep educating her on certain things um, so that she is more at ease and more calm, you know, like present things to her that it will help us so that she's not so anxious over it. Yes. Okay. Thank you both. My next question is directed to both guests. How can you make a difference during the coronavirus pandemic? I think you got to you got to play your part. You have to meaning that personally, you have to make sure first and foremost that you're part of the solution and not part of the problem that you are wearing your mask, that you are doing your best to social distance, and that you are supporting programs where people need um, extra support. Um, that's just what you can do as a, just a, a, a citizen, right? But then in our role, what I'm trying to do is make sure that our clinic, uh, that we think outside the box and how we service our patients, that we think about making sure that when we do the food delivery program, we're working with community partners to make sure that we also pass out PPE working with community stakeholders to pass out PPE at other events. So there's what you can do as an individual, then there's also what you can do um, in your day-to-day -day work. Um, I agree with Dr. Um, I like, per, like from a civilian side, um, as far as just making sure you set the right example, like, you know, doing, taking all the precautions that you're supposed to take so that people, you know, because people, they mimic a lot or they learn from you. So if they're learning that this is what you're supposed to do or they see, you know, the, the example that you're setting, like they're, they're going to want to participate. You know, most of the time people want to participate in, in what they see, especially if they know it's the right thing and they see you doing it. As far as work goes, I know we have, I mean, we ask every patient um, before we even take them back. Um, we ask them the, the, the COVID questions. We take their temperature. If they don't have a mask on, I ask them if they can please wear a mask. Or if they don't have one, we provide them with one. Um, and we have, I set hand, sanitize, hand sanitizers, you know, in, in the waiting room. But like, I, we only allow like maybe one or two people to wait there anyways. And um, if there's more patients that come in, we ask them if they can sit in their car. And so, you know, we go and get them and bring them back just so it's not overcrowded and people aren't overwhelmed um, as far as, you know, being here as a patient. I feel like it, that's the most important part and um, allowing them to feel more at ease. Like I like, um, it's okay for me to like wipe off the seats and stuff. And I, I know I've, I've had a, a patient today thank me because I, I cleaned the bathroom for her. Like I disinfected it before she even went in there. Uh -huh. Um, and she was like, Oh my God, thank you so much. She's like, I do it for my kids. And I was just like, Oh, no problem. You know, it's just little things like that. Uh -huh. That really help. Yes. Those are very good. And I feel that you both in your roles could be considered like community champions to help spread the word, word and educate, um, community members, your family members, your friends and families at churches. So that's very important. Okay, this next question I'm going to direct to you, Dr. Watson. How okay. might you respond to this question? As the Director of Community Engagement in the College of Health and Human Services, my role is to meet people where they are and to help meet the needs of community members in Southland Chicago. Over the past 10 weeks, we have been hosting personal protective equipment pop-ups 
where we provide bags of much needed PPE to community members. This includes masks, gloves, hand sanitizer, and culturally tailored COVID-19 health education information, as well as local resources. I also developed a short survey, which asked community members what they want or need, because we want to hear from you. Here's a question from a survey we took in Flossmoor on July 24th. Our respondent is a 20-year-old Latino female from Flossmoor who asked, how should I proceed and what should I do to stay safe with COVID-19 still on the rise and school starting? I think um, that, that's a great question for that person, from that person and very realistic. I think the first way I respond is the way I responded with a lot of things. You know, I, it's it's a struggle right now with school getting ready to start back, both for parents thinking about what will they do. We know I'm not sure in the south suburb if the public school system out there has come out with a decision, but I know in Chicago, CPS has come out with a decision saying that you know we will be doing virtual classes, and so that means that parents will continue to do what they've been doing, but have to seek out support. So that's when you have to really find those resources when you have to pick up the phone call three call you know the social service departments and ask them you know what support does does there exist for childcare services you know because i may work an hourly wage job but i don't have the luxury of yeah. working from home so mm -hmm. i may not be able to stay home with my kids so how do i get support for childcare um where where do i go are there faith based institutions that are going to be opening up childcare so this is when we really have to find out how social service agencies can can help. And but then if you are a student going back, mm -hmm. you have to make sure that you take responsibility for ensuring that you stay safe and you social distance. If you're going into a dorm, some institutions, some universities are allowing students to just go total total virtually. That's fine. Some some are doing a, a hybrid version of virtual and in class. Okay. You have to make sure that you're taking precautions and assume that, that assume that you've come in contact with someone that is infected and act accordingly. Okay. All right. Thank you for that. And Ms. Williams, what plans for, what are your plans for school in the fall? And do you have any reservations? Um, as far as um, plans for school in the fall, I, I, Basically, I want to work with this degree for at least a year, a year and a half, maybe, maybe a little more. I want to get more. Um, I want to get more in tune with this degree. I feel like I know my goal is. Um, well, one of my goals is nursing, but um, I I feel like I was redirected to this degree for a reason. Um, I know I like to now. I know I, I noticed that I like to reach out a lot more as far as um, teaching and education or anything like that of that of nature um, with friends, family, or any, anyone like that. Um, and I feel like school right now for the fall, I'm okay with taking a little break um, so that I can work and learn about this degree. Um, any reservations? I honestly, I will keep working on um, making sure that I do get accepted into the MSN program once I reach that point and I apply and everything. So that's really about it um, for school, as far as school goes. You both have done an excellent job in answering all the questions today and have provided a lot of very much needed information for our listeners. 
Dr. Watson, do you have any last words or tips you want to leave with the community? Um, my last tips would be similar to what we used to say, you know, treat everyone as if they're a loved one of yours. You know, as you come in contact with them, socially, mm -hmm. social distance and wear a mask. Um, doing this for the next, you know, we're going to be doing this for a little while, but doing this for the next six months or three months, however long it takes, that's what's going to allow us to move back to a sense of normalcy so we yeah. can get our lives back on track. But everyone has to do their part, all of us. And Christina, what final tips would you leave students in the community? This was my favorite part, um, just because I feel like I had to, um, I have to get to this point myself. But final tips to the community students, um, I would say is to make sure that you find the light in, in every, the light, <laughs> even in the darkest tunnel, find a positive outlook in every negative situation. That's really important. Um, practice your peace and grant yourself a peace of mind. Believe that you will make it far and you will. Do not allow the pandemic to take over your life. We only have one. Stay motivated and finish what you started. The reward is worth it. It's always worth it. Okay, thank you both very much. Um, I wanna thank Dr. Kareem Watson and Ms. Christina Williams. Thank you for including me. <laughs> and thank you and congratulations to Governor State for having this platform and for getting this information out. This is such an important service that you all are providing to the community. So I really want to congratulate you all on having this type of venue. Yes, and thank you all. You all are our first guest and we're really excited about this podcast. Thank you. Thank you thank for you. the opportunity. Thank you for listening to our first episode of the Southland Health and Wellness Hour. I want to thank Dr. Kareem Watson and Ms. Christina Williams. We will be back in two weeks to discuss COVID-19. Who does it impact the most and why? A discussion about racism. Let's talk about it. And remember listeners, we want to hear from you. If you have been influenced by COVID-19, please visit the GSU podcast website. The link can be found in our description. This is where you will find a link to drop us a line. This podcast is sponsored by the College of Arts and Sciences in partnership with the College of Health and Human Services at Governor State University. The show was produced by Tanya Roberson and Deborah James. Associate producer, Rhonda Jackson. Senior Consulting Journalist, Randall Wiseman. Director, Uriah Berryhill. Student Producer, Zamar Tompkins. Engineer, Heather Penn. Graphics, Amanda Martinez. And music by Charles Dumazere, professionally known as C-Sick. <laughs>